So I'm glad you're with us this morning. You know, I want to start a little bit differently. I'm going to start this morning with just, uh, uh, and this is so unusual. I mean, I, you just need to know I would never do this. But Andrew wrote a summary of what I taught on last week, and I thought it was so good that, you know, you don't see the misspellings in it, just me. But uh, uh, you saw them. <laughs> so what I want to do is I'm, I'm actually going to start there because it's a summary if it, if you were here the, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, I, I preached 11 characteristics that every man, every father should have, and uh, I've been breaking those down. We're going through three at a time right now, and um, so hopefully you, you have uh, heard those, and, and we'll be able to just track right along with me this morning, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to read what Andrew put last week. He said, number one, your burden is your opportunity, so we talked about being a burden bearer last week. And Andrew said, your burden is an opportunity. If you never bear a burden, you will not become who God made you to be. For every burden, there is opportunity for the bearer. Whether it's your burden or someone else's, there is always a God-given opportunity for those that bear it. And I thought that was just really good. And then we talked about being a stabilizer. And this is what he said about being a stabilizer. To stabilize is to take on the burden with the purpose of finding the opportunity. Stabilizers turn burdens from a prison into a path. They realized that burdens were not meant to last, but move us on towards something better. And I just, uh, once again, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And the third one is wisdom. Wisdom is the only way to find the opportunity and the burden. Wisdom only comes from God. There is no stabilizers that are not connected to God. Wisdom says there are not solutions to burdens, but opportunities to gain wisdom. Wisdom is protection from the prison of peril of burden. It is freedom from moral failure. Without burden, there is no opportunity to gain wisdom. Without wisdom, there is no solution to burdens. So great job, Andrew. I just wanted to prove that someone does listen to me. Man, all right, that's what all that's about. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we'll jump in and cover three more. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. I thank you for these men who have uh, got up this morning, wanted to, uh, um, Lord, just hear from you and hear what you have to say to us today. Jesus, thank you for them, and continue to lead us by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Man walked to the top of a hill to talk to God one day. The man asked God, what's a million years to you? And God said, a minute. Then the man asked, well, what's a million dollars to you? And God said, a penny. Then the man asked God, God, can I have a penny? And God said, sure, in a minute. Did you get that? All right, all right. So we'll jump in. We, we talked about uh, provider was number four on my list, so we're going to start with provider today. Now, the deal with provider, men, let me say, the next two you've heard so much that they're going to be so redundant, you're just going to check out. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the third one, but this first one, you know what a provider is. Fathers supply spiritually, emotionally, and, material, and materially to all who live under their fatherhood. And so you know what it means to provide for your family, to provide for your church, um, to bring an offering, to provide for God's kingdom, that type of thing. I know you understand physical provision, but I'm going to talk to you this morning about spiritual provision. I didn't have a lot of time to say much about uh, how we provide spiritually for ourselves as well as for others. And I want you to hear something. You first have to learn to provide for yourself. You've got to provide spiritually for yourself. Now, we provide financially for ourselves. You know, when you're early on, 
I get a kick out of my son. He's got a couple of jobs going right now. Man, as soon as he gets those checks, where does he want to go? Where? <laughs> yeah, quick stop. <laughs> well, he, he really wants to go to the bank and cash them. You know, and, and I'm like, wait, uh, we, we need to set some of that back, you know, and you try to talk to him, and, and he's like, I know, I know, Dad, but uh, all of my friends are going to Brahms tonight. All right, that's the thing, I guess, is to go to Brahms tonight. So uh, we, we're trying to, I'm trying to explain to him that, look, you need to set some of this back. You, you, you've got to learn to provide for yourself. Once you get to where you can provide for yourself, you can hopefully one day provide for someone else, maybe even your dad. But uh, that would be a good day when that happens. But also talking to him about providing for himself spiritually. And this is a place where I really didn't have time to go the other morning. Trying to unpack 11 traits of fathers is a tough thing to do on Sunday morning, much less to go very deep. First Timothy 5.8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. Now that's kind of a scary scripture. So the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, now you remember Timothy was, uh, he had met with Paul at Ephesus and, and uh, had met with, ch- with Paul over the church at Corinth. And, and we know some conversations took place there and there were some problems, especially with the church at Corinth. And so, so what you have is, is Paul instructing Timothy saying, hey, look, teach your people, teach your men that they need to provide for their household. All right, you can't just bail out and go follow Jesus and leave what your responsibilities are. And one of the ways that you're supposed to provide for them is not just physically, but you're also supposed to provide spiritually. Because God the Father is a provider. When Abraham and Isaac went up to, the, to sacrifice, remember Isaac asked his dad, where is the sacrifice? Abraham said, the Lord will provide. So he's showing that God is a provisional God. God cares about every one of our needs. The, the deal is we do not have because we do not ask. I had a lady up here who had the opportunity to pray for uh, this past Sunday. And, and one of the things I told her, I said, you've got to learn to pray for what you want as well. You're always praying for what you need. God hears what you want. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to get everything you want, all right, uh, unless you're millennial. Outside of that, it, you probably, I'm just kidding. Okay, millennials, I love you guys. Notice our millennial table is not even here this morning. I preached them away last week. But anyway, so Abraham said, the Lord will provide. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, the Lord provided manna from heaven in the morning and quail in the evening. I was asked to do a devotional for each one of the groups at camp uh, the week before last, and in their devotional uh, to teach about first fruits. And I always use this scripture to talk about how we fill ourselves, how we provide for ourselves through first fruits in the morning. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now, this is Moses. He's leading out the Israelites. They're in the wilderness. The Israelites are starting to grumble. They're saying, wouldn't we have been better had we stayed in Egypt where our bellies were full from the pots of meat that they cooked, even the Egyptians? We were slaves, but weren't we better off because at least our bellies were full? They were grumbling, and now God says, hey, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to show you that I'm a God of provision. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In, the, in, that, in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So, this is what he says. He's going to bring quail in the evening. He's going to bring manna in the morning. Now, manna is a type of bread that tastes like honey. It's actually a honey wafer, all right? So, it's a pretty good breakfast. We, I like honey on my biscuits in the, in the morning, you know. It's kind of that. And so, he's saying, look, here's the deal. You're, I'm going to provide for you, 
physically and spiritually, but you've got to get up and do something. You're going to have to get up and go out into the field, and when the dew rises off the field, you're going to need to gather enough for yourself for that day. Now, you'll see, if you continue to, to read in verse 14, it says here, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. So now there's this, these wafers that God leaves, and they're there when the dew rises off of the ground. Now, how early is that? Any of you answer that question here in West Texas? Shoot, sometimes we don't have dew. Sometimes we don't eat. I mean, we're desert people around here, right? We, we're, we're fortunate if we see a dew. Um, but uh, he's making a point here saying early in the morning, when the sun breaks its crest, when the dew is still there and it hasn't melted off yet, that's when you need to go out in the field because as soon as it does, as soon as that sun comes up, it's going to burn it away. So, so when that dew rises, so what he's making, he's making a point. There's a spiritual point aspect of this story that says God desires to feed us in the mornings, early in the mornings. And look, when, when we get up and we give him that time, his desire is, is to feed us both physically and spiritually because he's a God of provision. Now, if we neglect, this, this is kind of what we do. We sometimes neglect that. Verse 20 says this, however, some of them paid no attention to what Moses said. They kept part of it until morning. So in other words, they went out there and they gathered up more than they needed for the day. And so, they, so possibly they wouldn't have to do what the next morning? Get up, right? I'm just going to get a couple days worth. And then tomorrow morning, I can sleep in a little bit later. Now, you know what happened to it? Mold and the worms ate it. You see, what God's saying is you can't depend on yesterday's bread. That's a temptation for me. A temptation for a pastor to say, hey, I can write messages. I can put messages together. I do this all the time. This is, this is it's like putting a puzzle together for me. And, and so I enjoy putting messages together. But the deal is, if I'm not careful, I'll try to rely on yesterday's bread. There's still his mercies are what? New every morning. And so his desire is, he makes a great point. God says, hey, you, you can't gather, you can't gather enough for two, three, four days down the road. You're going to have to gather what you need today. And that's going to be, that's going to suffice for you today. Now, men, as men of provision, because we serve a God of provision, then we should look to get with him in the mornings and we should eat, we should feast on him. Well, how much is that? Well, that's interesting because he talks about the, the, uh, the Omar and meaning that there was a certain amount that they could measure for themselves and, and it was different for each one. And that's, that's incredible because this is, if, if they gathered a lot, they put 10% back according to the Omar, according to their measuring uh, rod, if you will. They would put it in a jar. He told them to do that. And, and that was to represent what they would give back, if you will, it, it, what they would remember of how God provided for them. So they could put that much back. They didn't eat it. They just put it back as a reminder. So in, in looking at this, each person got what was needed for him. Now, that's important because each person requires, some require more, some require less, but he said each, each ate to their fill. So that's, that's, that's kind of the way it is. So, so, so for some of us, um, just getting started, you may just have five minutes. You may just start with 10 minutes when the dew rises off the ground. You might need 30 minutes. For me, it's very hard for me once I get started to stop because I have a process that I like to go through. There's 
there's just a certain thing, certain way that I like to, to study the scriptures today. But you guys, I understand, you know, you're not, you're not pastors. God knows that. And sometimes it's 10 minutes for me on, in a morning. That's, that's what, I, what I get. That's, that's my time. Other, other days, maybe I get an hour, hour and a half to sit in with the Lord and, and do that. Friday mornings are kind of that time with me. I pull my guitar out. Unfortunately, none of you are there. You don't have to listen to it, right? But I'm able to have worship and some other things that go along with it. So this is the deal. You can't depend upon yesterday's bread. This is for every morning, except on the sixth day, what were they supposed to do? The sixth day, if you want to read this for your study tomorrow morning, you can, you can go back and, and look at this. But on the sixth day, they gathered double, and it did not go bad. Now, I love this because on the, on the seventh day, they rested, if you will, the Sabbath day, which is a day today that we celebrate on Sunday. They celebrated it on Saturday. But, but here's, here's the neat thing about the Sabbath and about them gathering double portion because they, he knew that the family of God, if you will, will be together on that day and there will be enough. When we fill our hearts with praise, with worship, with study, with direction towards God, this is what he does. We have the opportunity then to bring all that together on the seventh day. And it just becomes that much more powerful because we're able to share with one another. And so this is really a spiritual story. God provides, our God is a, is a provisional God, and he provides for us both physically and he provides for us spiritually now look, in doing so, we too should provide in those two ways to our families and also to our church and to our communities. This is an innate trait that every man should have. So when we get up in the mornings as the dew lifts, he wants to feed us. He wants to provide for us so that we can provide for others, most importantly, for our families. So that's where we are. That's where I'm going to end on being a provider. I didn't get to talk about the spiritual side of provision. I really talked more about the physical side in the message a couple of weeks ago. Next one is this, a protector. Now, I talk about cultivate and keep all the time. Once again, we talk about the physical protection a man should provide. Every man should have enough rough edges on him or her. There's no her. Every man should have enough rough edges on him to know what it means to protect physically. Not that we have to go out and be brutal with anyone. I told my son the other day, I said, son, I, I wouldn't look for you to ever get in a fight. I don't want you to fight. That's, that's, not, that's not the measure of a man. The measure of the man is to learn how to use your words, learn how to walk away when it's appropriate, and know how, know when to, to not engage when you don't need to. Right? Just, just a lot of times, that's, that's what we do. Now, if the time comes where you have to protect yourself, or you have to protect your family or something like that. That's a little bit different. But we understand physical protection. But do we understand spiritual protection? We must protect ourselves from the schemes of the devil. Now, men, this is where we have to pray throughout the day. So the Apostle Paul says pray continuously. There's a reason for that. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. Because, look, if we can't protect ourselves, it it's, becomes very difficult to protect others. It becomes very difficult to protect your family when you yourself are given over to lust, overindulgence, overcommitment. All of these things can be dangerous. See, we are to be spiritual protectors. And if we don't protect ourselves, that means that if we have a lust problem, we better learn how God deals with lust and overcomes that in our lives. If we have a drinking problem, how is God going to overcome that 
in our life. He, he wants to protect us from those things. You know, I told the kids at camp the other day, I said, listen, I'll just give this to you for free. You do not have to stop what you don't start. Don't ever start the habit. I mean, there's, there's just some things that you start that have absolutely no good destination behind them. We must protect ourselves, and in doing so, we'll protect our families, we'll protect the church family from evil, from every evil that attempts to ensnare us. So, they must learn to be aware of the evils that surround them every day. Our children, you know, I, I, uh, I've been in this argument a handful of times, but I, I had some... Uh, a parent come to me at, at one point in time, and I was kind of talking about homeschooling in our culture today and how the church should have never let the, school set, let, the, let the states take over the public school system. We should have, you know, at one time they were housed, churches were housed within the schools, and the Bible was the main curriculum. And at that point in time, some great things happened in America. You can go back and do your research, but if you look at the time of enlightenment, you know, from the early 1900s up through... Uh, even, even through the Great Depression, some wonderful, wonderful things happened as far as spiritually among this great country. Uh, eventually, we turned that over to a secularized culture and society. And I was making the point of we've lost a form of protection, and we may have to bring this back into the homes or bring this back into the church at some point in time. As a matter of fact, I think today's the time. And uh, I had a, a lady that, of course, confronted me that was a school teacher, and and she said, you know, I, I think you're absolutely wrong on this. Why would you not want your kids to pour into the school system where they could impact uh, and be evangelists, if you will, uh, soldiers for the school system, for Jesus within those school system, systems? And I said, because you don't send an unarmed soldier to battle. They're still kids. They're still children. You're still training them up. I do believe there is that age of accountability around 12 years old, whereas if we raise them from five, now you're just hearing Curtis's opinion here, but if we raise them, you know, from, the, from their formative years of, of three years all the way up to uh, 12, then we've got a pretty good foundation laid, and at that time maybe turn them over into a public school system, and you would have a little bit of equipment that they could wear and at least know who to yoke with and who not to yoke with. But it's a very difficult day and time, and we are called to be protectors, protectors spiritually. And so, men, I would ask you to pray about this and pray about this situation because we've got to protect our children from the evils that are out there. Now, man, my son just brought up a great, great point this week. Sitting down with me in my office, he just began to talk to me, and he said, Dad, um, what happens to these, these young men when they don't fit a category of man? When, when they, they, they have fine arts... Um, because he's in band and he sees this all the time, but they're in fine arts and, and if they try to run with the guys, they get picked on because they're not as rough, tough, and tumbling as these other, other boys over here. But if they, if they get too far over here in the fine arts, they're considered gay and uh, feminist or feminist. They, they act like they're far more feminine and there's not a lot of masculinity in them. And he said, so where's the gap? He said, there's a gap there. That, and he said, I think this is why they tend to, to swing over here and, and start walking more on the, on the side of the left, if you will, on the liberal side of not understanding their gender. And I said, Wade, you make a, a great point. You really do. Where is the church trying to raise up young men? There's a gap, and we need to step into that gap. And that doesn't mean we rough them up or anything else. It means we, we show and share with them how to walk in spiritual protection from, from the schemes of the enemy. Because uh, 
Uh, I tell you, you know, my dad, my, my dad used to say this all the time, you're only as good as the company you keep. And some of them don't have choices like we think because they're not as tough, they're not as rough, they're not as, as uh, uh, the word ambition's coming to mind, but they're not, they're not as, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Anyway, they simply, they simply are not what maybe a man looked like 50, 60 years ago. Where they're out there working from the time they're three, five years old, you know, they're learning how to drive a tractor by the time they're eight or nine. These kids are learning how to work on computers, you know, and some other things. There's, there's other jobs out there, and, and, and there's, it, we're def- definitely in a different culture. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying, hey, we've got to be protectors. We've got to listen to what they're saying and say, how are we going to raise them up to be men in the culture that they serve? Same thing with daughters. We should carry a spiritual protection with us. A man's success is measured by what is, yeah, I, I found this in a book the other day, and I just wrote this down. I thought this would be good because I think a lot of us as protectors, we're, we're always looking to, to provide through financial gain and uh, so we say hey if I go to work I'm doing my job that's all my job but uh, I found this quote and I and I wrote it down the other day it was on my desk so I just thought I'd put it in here a man's success is measured by what his wife and children say about him money and accomplishments mean nothing if he lets his family fail and so we are called to be a spiritual protector and not fail our children The last one that I'm going to talk about this morning is an encourager. Now, there's two words that I'm going to use here, encourager and exhorter. Exhortation is a gift of the Spirit. Some of you are automatically exhorters because your gift set in the gifts of the Spirit is exhortation. They run very close, but if that is not your gift set, because some of you, and I can, I can lean either way, I'm, I, I really do feel like I, I have the gift of exhortation, but I also have, I want to see excellence. And so sometimes my way of ex- exhorting is, hey, you didn't sweep that corner. You didn't move the trash can and sweep out from behind. You know, sometimes we're, we're seeing the faults and we're not exhorting in the way that God has called us to exhort. We find the things that we love in people and the things that they're gifted at and when we do that, when we do that, we encourage them in those gifts. Or we encourage them in, in how they're using what God gave them. When you see someone go above and beyond, reward them for that. Because what's rewarded will be what's repeated. So anytime you see your children or children in the church doing something good, if I happen to catch one of the kids out here in the parking lot, pick a piece of trash up, what am I going to do? I'm going to jump in there and encourage them. And I'm going to find a way to reward that because what's rewarded will be repeated. It's a great leadership quality. The gift of encouragement, or I would say the the exhortation gift, it's it's listed in Romans 12.8. The word encouragement, or in in some of your Bibles it will say exhorter. It's It's used in this verse, and in the Greek it means parakletos, which what else means? What else comes from the Greek word parakletos? Do any of you remember? Good, good, Holy Spirit, good. And, and that's exactly right. And it means that he comes alongside of us, he comforts us, he, encourage us, he encourages us. The Holy Spirit 
is refers to as the paraclete. And when you go parakletos, that's, that's the time of encouragement. And so what happens is, is that we have the Holy Spirit within us, which means we should be able to encourage others, regardless of where they are, regardless of what they're doing, somewhere in us, we should have a word because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we should have a word of encouragement for someone out there. All Christians are called to encourage one another. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Believers can encourage one another through time together, through encouraging words, through letters, through prayers. You know, if you, if you see someone do a great job, write them a letter, send them a, a text message and say, hey, I noticed you did this. You know, just have, just tap in to what God has given you. Tap into that paracletos, that, that Holy Spirit within you and encourage. Paul sought to encourage believers through his visits in Romans. Romans chapter 1, his many letters, his prayers, his teaching regarding the rapture of believers in 1 Thessalonians, if you remember, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Because in 1 Thessalonians, who remember the believers said, hey, I think we missed it. I think Jesus came back in some way. <laughs> we missed what happened. And so Paul writes to them and he says, let me, let me tell you something. You who are still alive will not precede those who have gone on before. In other words, Jesus is going to take you with him. You've not missed it. He's, he's writing a letter of encouragement to them. Sometimes people get down in their faith. Sometimes people are wondering, hey, uh, will, will anyone ever hear me? Does, does God hear my prayers? I don't know if I need to go to church. I don't know if I need to be at Bible study. I don't know if I need to be in a live group. I don't know if I ought to plug in in that way. Or maybe you've plugged in and you've been hurt, you've been burned. There's a lot of times those things happen, men. And the thing that will change an attitude is a Christian brother who's tapped into the Holy Spirit, the parakletos. Like I said, those two words are parallel, encourager and parakletos, Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's in each one of us. Whether exhortation is a gift in us or not, the Holy Spirit is there. And sometimes just a fellow brother needs someone to come alongside and say, hey, I've noticed you've not been there. Where have you been? What's going on? Be an encourager because that could be the very thing that plugs them back in to the community of believers in the way that they're supposed to be plugged in. Now, let's go to the gift of exhortation for just a minute and I'll, I'll finish this up. Some believers are especially gifted in encouragement. If you think about in the Bible, I was trying to think of examples. One, one of the ways that, that I write a message is I, I come up with a topic and I'll just tell you, and then I try to brainstorm words towards that topic, five to ten words of what that looks like. What, what would that look like if I, if I were going to teach on um, commitment? I would think of five or ten words that go along with commitment, list them, and try to make sure that I put those in the message, right? And so it's kind of the same way with a gift of encouragement. I, I, I like to think of examples. Who are examples? One of the great examples is in the New Testament is Barnabas. Barnabas sold a field, he gave all the money to the church in Acts chapter 4, right? He would, become, he would become known as the son of encouragement, and, and he later helped Paul find his ministry. And so he lived a gifted life through Christ by building others up. You know, the best way to succeed in life is to help someone else succeed. You ever heard that? The, the best way to give in life if to, is to give your life. 
And as we give our lives for the sake of others, we, we too are built up in that way. Another example would be Moses. He was commanded to encourage Joshua. And Joshua was going to be the leader of the Israelites after Moses was gone. And, and God told him, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause, cause Israel to inherit it. And Moses didn't go, get to go into the promised land. Joshua did. But God told Joshua, you go and encourage him. He's a young man. He needs encouragement. Older men encourage the younger men. When King Josiah helped return his people to the Lord in the Old Testament, he used encouragement to assist in the process. This is what he said in 2 Chronicles, 2, in 2 Chronicles 35 2. He appointed the priests to their offices and then encouraged them to be in service in the house of the Lord. When you spend time with the Lord, you'll have the ability to protect, especially protect his word and his ways. We learn from him and we'll learn to call out the champion in others. We'll encourage. And guess what? We may find out we had a gift that we never knew we had, the gift of exhortation. There were two men, both were seriously ill. They occupied the same hospital room. The one man was allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon. He would help drain, they'd have to drain the fluid off of his lungs. And his bed was next to the room's only window. And the other man was over next to him. He had a curtain drawn between the two of them in the hospital. Now, they spoke of their wives and their families, their homes. They'd been in this room for quite some time together. But every afternoon, the, the one man who was behind the curtain would ask the other man who was by the window, what does the day look like? Oh, the day is beautiful today. The sun's shining. The birds are singing. I see people down on the street. It's just a world of activity out there. The other man would ask certain questions. Well, is it supposed to rain today? Well, there are a couple of clouds in the sky, the one by the window might say. One, one afternoon, the man by the window described a parade that was passing by. And although the other man couldn't hear the band, he could see it. In his mind's eye, the gentleman by the window portrayed it with such descriptive words. Days and weeks passed by. One morning, the day nurse arrived to bring water for their baths, only to find the man by the window had passed away. She was saddened. She called the hospital attendants to take the body away. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved next to the window. The nurse was happy to make the switch, and after making sure he was comfortable, she left him alone. Slowly, painfully, he propped himself up on one elbow to take a look outside at the real world which he hadn't seen in almost a year he strained slow, slowly as he looked out it faced a blank wall that's all that was behind that window the man asked the nurse what could have compelled my roommate who had described such wonderful things out this window to me what was he seeing what did he look at and the nurse responded that the man was blind and could not even see the wall he was just simply an encourager I want to tell you, each one of us can see things oftentimes that others can't. And if you'll tap into your gift of exhortation, if you have that, or how about this, tap into the Holy Spirit that lives within you, you too will see what others can't and encourage them to see it as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for these men. Father, as we discuss our questions, lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see the things that others can't, to see a world that needs to be seen, Father, to bring your kingdom to this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.